0: First aid kits are something everybody should have in every vehicle and in their house. Today we talk about first aid kits and first aid training and other situations. Our guest today has been a nurse for many years as well as a trainer and saw a market for good quality first aid kit. I found it to be a really interesting episode in that I learned a lot and stick around at the end for a discount code for first aid kits and supplies. Are you into four-wheeling camping and exploring? How about off-road racing like mud bogs, short course wheel-to-wheel racing, or even desert races? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to 4x4 Canada podcast. My name is Wes, and I've been four-wheeling since I was six weeks old. I have over 20 years experience in 4 x 4 shops, many more than that in the off-road racing, and a lifetime of exploring the backcountry across Canada. Every week, we bring you a new guest where they give you their perspective on the industry. We discuss everything from four-wheeling, overlanding, every form of off-road racing across this great country, as well as we talk to Canadian manufacturers and 4x4 shops. Just a quick reminder that if you're looking for more episodes, you can find all of our episodes on 4x4canadapodcast.com or your favorite podcast sharing platform. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at 4x4canadapodcast.com. Now let's get to the show. <laughs> Most of us have first aid kits in their vehicle. If not, you should. When you look at the kit in your truck, it probably has a few cheap band-aids, maybe some tweezers and gauze and, oh yeah, that Advil that expired two years ago. Will your current kit help or hinder you in an actual emergency? As outdoor enthusiasts, we spend a lot of time in the outside in the wilderness. Our guest today can help make sure that you are prepared for whatever first aid emergencies throw thrown your way. Ken, welcome to the 4 x Canada podcast. Thanks for having me, Wes. So Ken is the owner of Wild Med Kits, a Canadian company that supplies first aid kits and supplies. You can check out their website at www.wildmedkits.ca, and we'll put that link in the show notes, of course. Ken, please tell us about yourself and Wild Med Kits. Sure. Yeah. So I've uh,
1: my professional background is working as a registered nurse. I've been practicing since uh, 2010, and I spend most of my career working in austere environments, so working in the Arctic in uh, First Nations communities and outposts, as well as doing some flight nursing in Nunavut. And then I've worked uh, emergency rooms, ICUs in the city here as well. And then I've been mostly focusing my kind of latter part of my career on education. So I've been teaching nursing with a few universities and colleges, and then teaching privately with first aid programs with wilderness first aid, uh, emergency medical responder courses, as well as uh, the general kind of first aid CPR programs. And that's where I really enjoyed kind of the the educational side and kind of sharing my professional knowledge with everybody out there and trying to get more people trained up so they have some knowledge of what to do when when no one trained is around. So I think that's really helpful. Uh, and then in the side of the, the the supply side, this really came out of just teaching for, you know, the last 10, 12 years is we, we did a lot of courses and people would always ask about first aid kits at the end. And I was always trying to kind of direct people as to where to go. You know, uh, you know, Mech's got some kits there and you can check kind of local stores. But as as we looked into it, the kits that are kind of off the shelf and ready really didn't have, you know, what we're training them to do. And we'd look at the curriculum and go, we just taught you how to do all this stuff. And you don't even have that in a basic first aid kit. Um, So that kind of sparked the idea of starting this company and, uh, it took a while to develop. We launched it in 2017, and it's been running quite well and growing year by year with that. And we work with like, search and rescue organizations, campus emergency response teams. Uh, we work with a lot of guiding companies, and uh, we really kind of niched into doing custom kits and first aid kits yep. more for people that needed something specific for an environment that wasn't kind of your standard environment. Um, so that's where we really kind of niched out in our product line.
0: Yeah. One of the reasons I, I asked to come on the show is that I have questions and I'm sure that the listeners have a lot of the same Ooh. questions when it comes to first aid kits. I mentioned to you earlier in the week that, you know, when I sold my Xterra, I forgot to take out the first aid kit and the lift aid there. And now I need a new first aid kit. My old kit was a mix, mix mash of stuff I bought from the drugstores yeah. and band-aids and just regular stuff. Right. But I've been thinking about what to do for a kit. Do I get a $30 kit from Costco and top yep. it up with a few things? Do I get an empty bag and make my own kit or buy a proper kit that's pre-done? There's, you know, going through your website, I'm like, okay, that just pretty much solves that question. Some of these pre-done kits have everything I need and it saves me running around in different stores and it, It's actual quality stuff. It's not band-aids that are going to fall off and stuff like that. For the outdoor enthusiasts like our listeners, your wilderness kits would probably be a really good fit or even the hard-shell survival and first-aid kit that you've got. But uh, maybe we can talk a a second about those wilderness kits.
1: Sure. Yeah, so I I mean, I I agree with you. I think we we face this question all the time of, you know, should I buy an off-the-shelf kit and kind of supplement? Yeah. Um, or just buy a really nice bag and kind of create my own. And I think it's really uh, specific to kind of where people are at at the time. I think, you know, first aid kits can get expensive. So, you know, as you add the the big stuff like a, you know, a a quality tourniquet is not a cheap device to add to it. Um, So I get people have kind of a budgetary piece to it. Um, So I, I don't think there's a wrong way to go about it. I think generally as as people get more training, which I think is probably the biggest thing to do, is, is get some education and kind of um, skill set towards first aid. Because I think a lot of the general information that's available online is, is tough to kind of suss out what is reputable and what is not. Yeah. Um, so that really kind of guides. And, and that's when I'm teaching kind of a first aid course. Uh, I have students reflect at the end, like the skills that we did and use that skill set to kind of dictate the supplies you're going to need. Um, so i think that's a really helpful kind of lens to look at your first aid kit so if you have a pre-made one from wherever go through it and take a look at that stuff and see if it actually matches the skill set you you think you may be applying to that situation Um, I would say if you do, like, I definitely, I've used those Costco kits before. They have an okay bag. Like, it's it's got some organizational structure to it. I just pulled it up here, actually, to look at it, too. <laughs> um, and it, it's very similar to any kit you'll find at, like, Shoppers Drug Mart or, or Walmart or anything. Is, uh, right. I think their biggest basis is, like, they always state the, uh, I've got 200, like, supplies in it or whatever. And the vast majority will be Band-Aids and, and swabs and things. Yep. Um, and I think the challenge in, in like emergency situations is you get kind of lost in like the, the fluff, the filler, uh, and it's tough to find what you need when you need it. So I would say a lot of that is I, I would pull out a lot of the junk that I don't need there and, and really add the products that are going to be useful for it. So in our like wilderness kits, we, we spent a long time developing that and actually we came out with three levels now, which I think is really helpful. Um, So we yeah, have a so, pocket size, kind of the essential and the comprehensive and, and the idea was like a pocket wilderness kit really came from like me having a kid now. So I've got a four-year-old and, uh, you know, we're at the park all the time doing things and I've got loads of first aid kits around, but if I'm at the park, it's not necessarily on me. And, you know, yeah. just the multiple falls and scrapes and things where I'm like, Oh, we don't have anything to clean you. We'll do it when we get back <laughs> to the car kind of really sucked out this idea of having a pocket kit. Um, so it's got a little bit of everything to kind of get you by at the moment. And the idea was, to make something small enough that you'd be willing to carry it all the time. Cause really the best first aid kit is the one that's with you. <laughs> yeah. That's always going to yeah. be the biggest thing. Um, and we made it fully waterproof. So we got these lock sack bags, which are pretty awesome. They're made in the States and they're fully submersible, like bulletproof Ziplocs. Basically you can stomp on them. They're puncture resistant. Um, so if you throw it in the wash with your clothes, it, it still survives. And we've done uh, quite a bit of testing with them. So we really like the bag that it's in and it keeps like your stuff. If you're getting sweaty in your pocket, it's not going to destroy your first aid gear. Um, so I think that's really helpful.
0: And uh, if you're on a kayak and you, you know, have yeah. to capsize or whatever, right? A hundred percent. If it gets wet, it's still usable.
1: Exactly. And that's a challenge. A lot of your first aid stuff doesn't do well when it's wet. Right. All the packaging and the sterility and the adhesives just don't do well when they're soaking wet. So keeping it dry is a really key thing. And our next level, kind of that essential kit was a a bigger kit that you can kind of throw in a a day pack or something um, to have Mm -hmm. really to kind of treat at least yourself and maybe one other person. So it's a smaller kit with, you know, a little bit of everything. And then we have our comprehensive kit, which is a really good one for kind of overall treating anything you would kind of Space out there, you've got enough to do multiple injuries. Um, it's got a good organizational structure. And then we left some space to kind of add into it because uh, one of the things in Canada that's a restriction in first aid kits is medications. So yep. in the US, you'll see a lot of like pre-packaged single dose medications in their kits. And Health Canada doesn't allow us to sell products that way here in Canada. Uh, oh, okay. So that's always something you're going to have to add to a kit. And it's just a, an interesting restriction with the way we have. Um, our legal system here. Um, So having some space in there to add, you know, general medications like Advil, Tylenol, Benadryl, you know, some... Polysporin, Exactly. Um, We wanted to leave that there. And we actually included in that kit our our medication guide. So that was a guide I developed going through all the -the over-the-counter medications, how you would use them, what I'd suggest stocking, uh, what to be cautious of with using those drugs. So it's a good kind of list and guide to think about what drugs you might bring with you and especially as you're doing yeah. longer trips you know those symptom management drugs are going to make your life a lot happier and allow you to maybe stay on a trip you would have decided to exit on otherwise um, so that's a right a good kind of additional piece to think about when building those
0: yeah and that kit, I mean, I was looking at that one myself. It's like you say, it's fairly comprehensive, fairly involved and covers pretty much everything you need. And it's really a, a perfect car kit, for lack of better terms, yep. for those people, you know, that are going out into the into the bush in the wilderness. And of course, you know, you never want to have to use, you know, the first aid kit. And, you know, I think in my old one, I used a couple band-aids and that was it. But it's just that that safety aspect of feeling feeling better when you're going out because you're you're prepared for whatever may happen because what i have found in my life is that quite often it's stuff happens when i'm not prepared right <laughs> right so you know chances are if i do have a good quality kit i may not need it but usually when shit goes wrong is when i don't have a kit or something
1: completely agree <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of students reflect on that when we do our first aid courses, because I think when we bring when we bring in someone that has done no training before, they don't really realize like what could happen. And then we do the yeah. training and they go, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. And it really kind of adds to that idea of like, I probably should have been more prepared for these trips I've been doing for years. And you're right. Yeah. Generally, nothing happens. I, I totally agree. It's very rare that I'm pulling out some, you know, big trauma piece out of my kit. I'm definitely using band-aids quite frequently just like everyone else but the challenge is when something big happens it it gets a lot harder when you need to improvise those pieces especially if you're not practiced in that improvisation piece Um, and it's much faster if you have the right gear right Um, for sure think you're right on that one.
0: Now let's actually you know bounce into that training part you mentioned that you do training and we were talking with some friends yesterday. We were out in the Alpine and mentioned that, you know, uh, that you're coming on board today and I, I'm in BC and in, in, in mm-hmm. the middle of BC and there's absolutely nothing for wilderness training here. I've done the first aid kit, you know, like your St. John's, you know, level yep. one and done, done that numerous times. But what we all were kind of discussing yesterday is that not that they're useless, but those courses, They're like ninety percent of it is CPR and defibrillator. One hundred percent, Yeah. Five or ten percent is actually dealing with something that we might find in the bush, and not that you know CPR is obviously that's very important. But like that five or ten percent, the rest was just spent on how to put a band aid you know kind of idea right yeah. so you know I've, I've been wanting to do some wilderness training which i go to go to basically vancouver to do that but right. uh, and that's something i'm going to look at you know trying to maybe bring somebody up into the camels area to do yeah. um, a training like that with the courses that you do in ontario what's the difference between like a basic or a level one and the wilderness training courses
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, first aid course levels are are complicated for sure. And provincially, <laughs> things change. And uh, Alberta and BC particularly have these like levels, uh, which we don't have here in Ontario. So, like the, the OFA level, oh, okay. one, two, three. It's not a thing here for us. So I know that complicates a lot of confusion around naming. Uh, in general terms, like what you mentioned with the St. John Ambulance or Red Cross is the, kind of the standard first aid, we'll call it. And you're yep. right. That's majority is... CPR, because really that course focuses on what does someone need to do in the 10 minutes waiting for an ambulance, and what things should they call an ambulance for? That's really the goal out of that course is recognizing, oh my goodness, someone needs an ambulance, so call it, and then what are the things that have great benefit being done prior to an ambulance arrival, which really is CPR, right? That's one of the things that if it's not done by bystanders, by the time EMS arrives, it has a much poorer success rate than if we had bystander cpr so that's that's always been kind of the focus of those courses Uh, when we get into like wilderness remote first aid then it really switches that lens because the whole idea of that course is nobody's coming soon
0: so exactly
1: you're stuck here for you know at least a few hours if not days what can you do in that time to keep someone alive right so it's really that lens change that kind of i think really fits with you know overlanders uh those that are doing wilderness tripping or any sort of remote expedition stuff even a lot of our roadways in canada right you can be pretty far away from major towns and ems response um so that's really the focus of that one is you know hospital is not going to be here we're going to need to do some more intense things and and really the scope of practice changes on that as well so we We talk a lot more about medications and what meds would be safe to give, how to dose them, uh, because there's going to be no one's going to be able to do those. A lot Mm -hmm. more into like wound management. So like you mentioned, like just throwing on a band-aid, maybe people know how to do that, but we need to do really good aggressive wound cleaning. We need to change those bandages. We need to watch for infection. So we do a lot more training on that and how to manage different types of wounds, as well as splinting, because that's probably your other biggest kind of most common thing is someone falling yeah. down and injuring, you know, a wrist and ankle, that kind of thing. So we have a lot more in-depth assessment of deciding, you know, do you think that thing's fractured or not? How are you going to protect it? How can you keep this thing stable while you're moving your patient towards an evacuation that may be multiple hours or days? How do you monitor that injury? And then with that, it's patient transport is a big thing too. As right. Standard first aid, it's it's all about just, just leave them there and helps coming. <laughs> Just call 911 yeah. and sit down and calm down. Um, but in our remote courses, it's it's really that EMS is probably not going to get exactly to where you are. You may need to do you at least a short movement, um, and we want to do that safely. So we get a lot more into stabilizing fractures, building stretchers, doing proper lifts, organizing a team for an evacuation, kind of thinking about how we're going to plan that uh, with that using communication devices like spots and in-reaches where we're out of that cell range, right? How do you use those devices and, and yeah. organize kind of a search and rescue plan for that? Um, so that's a big kind of change in the way that we're, we're training someone in those courses. Um, and I, I do that with the Red Cross now. There are a number of organizations that do it across Canada. I think Red Cross is a pretty good you know, look to it, a big brand's been around for a long time. They do a lot of training, but there are definitely others out there. So you can just search, you know, wilderness first aid and find, you know, other local resources that are kind of close to you. Um, And there's usually there's three levels to that. So there's like a two day course, which is either called wilderness first aid or remote first aid. And that's a good like intro level. You're going to get everything, you know, get a good feel for it. If you want to do more, there's what's called the wilderness advanced first aid. That's a four day course you're getting a lot more practical application of the skills. So really in the two day, we kind of, we give you a lot of knowledge. You might do it once and then the course is over in the four day. It's like, we do all that and we do long scenarios and you actually get to play out that and put that into some critical thinking. Right. And then our wilderness first responder is the eight day course. uh, And that's really where you're getting into like, you being a search and rescue kind of team member or you're going to be running a rescue so it's a lot more kind of that team dynamics how to run a rescue how to build a big kind of first response kit how to use some of the more advanced stuff like oxygen and airways um, and how to apply those to patients Um, so that's kind of how that training works is there's definitely different levels to it and usually you can bridge from one to the other
0: so that's what I was going to say, yeah, start off with that two-day course, yeah, which exactly. would probably do for a lot of, you know, people like myself, 100%. you know, just outdoor and enthusiasts. Outdoor and, and, you know, when we're talking about this, we were up in the Alpine and we were two hours from the nearest um, town that had any service for first aid. And half the time with, you know, shortages right now, half the time that emergency room is closed. Yeah, so it's another hour to cam loops and so you know, were looking at a three-hour thing so i mean like you say nobody's going to be out there fast so you know you got to learn how to take care of these wounds and splints and you know simple yeah. things like that now one of the things that we were talking about is one of the big things to come out in first aid in the last 10 years is tourniquets and sure. tourniquets from my understanding if you don't know what you're doing can actually cause a lot of problems you know if they're too tight or apparently i just learned yesterday that you're and i may be wrong on this but i was told that you actually have to release them every once in a while just to keep the blood flowing a little bit is that correct
1: it's interesting yeah so it, it tourniquets like you said came kind of back into mainstream play in the last you know five ten years and then yeah. they've been introduced into courses and i think with that has come a lot of confusion, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, some some good myths to this spell, like tourniquets in general uh, are amazing devices when used properly. So you know the the big thing is the tourniquets used for an arterial bleed, and that's really kind of the main thing. So that's your spurting blood, you've cut a big artery somewhere deep, Um, and it's only for limbs, so you can only use it on an arm or a leg. Um, right. in terms of their application and like survival of the limb, the newest research is showing, you know, these can stay safely on for up to six hours. Okay. So that's a lot longer than I think people were told of like, I've heard people say after 10 minutes, you're going to lose your hand. Like that's not true at all. You've got a lot of yeah. time. Surgeons are pretty good about this. The release thing has been something we've kind of toyed with back and forth in in different uh, curriculums. And Uh, The challenge with that, I think, in a remote setting is you're weighing this risk of losing blood versus the limb. So, you know, if you're releasing, you are losing blood with that release and and you are theoretically maybe getting some circulation to that limb. But the risk of losing that blood is definitely going to outweigh any recirculation of the limb benefit. So the, the latest research has shown or the curriculum ideas in a wilderness setting is if we apply a tourniquet, which is the fastest way to stop bleeding, so that's an advantage, yeah. right? In the states, this is a much bigger thing than Canada. Uh, it's slowly coming into practice here because in the U.S. they do a program called Stop the Bleed, which is a public-run campaign to train everybody how to apply tourniquets and that. And that's, you know, due to the nature of having more severe civilian trauma events there. Right. We don't have as much of that. Um, public training here in canada yet although i I would imagine that is coming and their recommendation is if you have a tourniquet and there's severe bleeding just throw it on and that's totally acceptable right ems response fast way to stop bleeding it's it's a very easy device to use once you know how to do it and you've been trained on it and it has low risk if you know taken off in the next you know four to six hours so for most people getting to a trauma center in an hour um, that's not an issue right in a wilderness context where that may not be feasible getting them out in that time frame the biggest kind of thought is if you've applied a tourniquet just to stop bleeding quickly what you can do in the next amount of time now is to go to the actual wound site and try to manage the bleeding at the site and we teach a lot about wound packing where we're actually like packing into a wound um, to to apply that directed pressure Uh, so what you can do or what most of the recommendation is it's within that first hour of tourniquet application, if you can get a really good wound packing and control of pressure on the site, you can attempt to release the tourniquet. If there's no bleeding, then you've managed it in a lower risk way. If right. it keeps bleeding, just put your tourniquet back on and leave it.
0: Okay. Right, okay. That that all makes sense. When you think about it that, blood loss is a bigger concern- 100%. Than limb loss because if you lose a lot of blood, you may not have a life. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, I and mean, you can't get blood, that, right? We we can't do that in the field. And we can't train people even to do IVs. So, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a big restriction. So I'd rather live yeah. than lose my arm, right? And that's kind of <laughs> the idea of that training is that we use this life over limb phraseality yeah. to it.
0: Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Going back to another situation and, and something that we were talking about yesterday when we were out was burns. Yep. You know, usually, like if you burn yourself when you're still at home, you run cold water over it or you, you go to the fridge and you grab your, your frozen peas and put that on, right? In the wilderness, you don't always have the opportunity to have cold water or something cold there to put on the burn. In that case, what do you recommend doing with that?
1: Yeah, so you're right. Burn management, definitely the number one treatment is cool the burn as quickly as possible. So we should always have water at some point that we're going to drink because we kind of need that to live. Um, (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's super cold because your body temperature is, you know, roughly 37 degrees Celsius. So anything, you know, less than that is going to be cool, which is great. Colder would be better, but you use what you got. Um, and I would just, you know, submerge whatever it is, ideally in water. So if it's like a finger or something, you can just stick it in a water bottle. Um, if right. it's something larger, you can like make a bigger container with a garbage bag or a ziplock and kind of fill that to get like a foot in or something, um, or soak like clothing, you know, some sort of cloth in water and kind of apply that to the area. Uh, but that's the biggest that's a good thing idea. that burns is uh, the quicker you cool it and the longer you cool it initially, they say 10, 15 minutes of cooling at least, the less chance of the burn progressing in levels because we're kind of like a big steak. So the you know, the theory of cooking steaks is <laughs> you want to put it on the barbecue and take it off before it reaches that level you want because it keeps cooking on the plate, right?
0: Right. And, and we're the yeah. same
1: way. You have that exposure to the thermal, but the heat. Once you remove your your skin from that heat source, you are still cooking. So if you leave it, you may take what was a superficial burn and it may progress to a partial thickness. Whereas yeah. if you cool it, you can stop that progression and now this injury is not as severe. So that's that biggest thing is cooling it with whatever you've got. And it doesn't even have to be clean water. Infection's not our first concern. So, you know, if there's a puddle nearby and that's it, then just, yeah, stick your hand in the puddle. Uh, yeah. you, you just need to yeah. cool that thing as best you can.
0: Now, something else that just popped into my mind a lot of us outdoor enthusiasts enjoy the wilderness at all times of year. Yeah, and in the winter time, there's the threat of you know cold and hypothermia and stuff like that. And I'll be flat out honest with you, I don't really know what to do in the case of the hypothermia because I try and avoid cold. <laughs> yep i'm I'm not a huge cold person, so but I mean there's instances where you know we've been out four wheeling in and doing some snow wheeling and that, and maybe you know or or doing snow like I do a lot of snowshoeing actually, so if something does happen in case where you're starting to get into some of the hypothermia, what are some of the steps that you should take to help alleviate that or to get you back to safety properly
1: sure, yeah, so uh, number one would be on the prevention side um. Dressing in layers is the biggest thing in winter because, like you say, you're on and off snowmobiles or ATVs or, you know, you're hiking, then you're stopping. So your your heat level is going up and down. And if you're just wearing like a T-shirt and a Canada goose jacket, you don't really (laughs) have a lot of options of what you're going to wear here. Um, So having multiple layers where you kind of start with something next to the skin that's going to have a heat retention property when wet So that would be wool or polyester. And the worst thing to wear is cotton, because cotton Mm -hmm. holds moisture, but it has no heat retaining properties when wet. So really avoiding cotton is a big one. Um, And then having, you know, layers on top of that, like a fleece kind of jacket, um, some sort of sweater, and then some sort of windbreaker on top. And then you can flip back and forth to allow that kind of sweat and moisture to get out. There's a big thing that's an issue when you're cold is being cold and wet because wet exactly. skin is going to steal heat much faster than dry skin. So that's the big balance is you need to stay dry. Um, so that would be the biggest thing is kind of dressing for it. Uh, the other big kind of factor in, in winter is that we burn a ton of calories, keeping ourselves warm. So your caloric demand is significantly higher. So making sure people are bringing lots of extra food and snacks that's going to be really key. So your body can actually create the heat it needs to create. Uh, Cause that's right. another way you're getting into hypothermia is you're running out of calories and you can't shiver. You can't create that heat. That's that's going to be the our big issue. So drying calories are kind of your biggest prevention, you know, with that, some things I think about, I mentioned packing extra food and snacks also extra dry stuff. Cause if someone yeah. like we in Ontario do a lot of like winter camping here over lakes and things, right. Where we're, you know, walking over lakes, snowmobiling over water. If someone goes into the water uh, and we get them out, we need a way to get that wet clothes off and get them into something dry. And that's, we can prevent yeah. hypothermia really quickly with that. We've had multiple cases of people going through water you get them out, they strip everything down into dry stuff and they never get hypothermic, right? And that's going to be much easier than trying to dry out wet clothes with it on them in that exposure piece. So I kind of prepping for those pieces is really key. Um, and then it's watching your group is a big thing too. Like hypothermia isn't an immediate thing. It's a slow progression, and especially with someone that hasn't had an acute exposure, like they've fallen through the ice, just being exposed to cold over time, it, it's going to be a slow progression. You're going to pick up on signs of people being, you know, uncomfortable um, having shivering loss of feeling in their hands and feet so if we're starting to see those things, we need to deal with it then before letting it kind of progress to that level of hypothermia. I think right. That's, that's a really key thing is that group dynamics and kind of watching people um, and making sure everyone's prepared. Because maybe you as the group leader, like you've done this trip a hundred times, you know what you're doing, you dress properly, you have all the right gear, and you take some newbie that's wearing the cotton t-shirt and the Canada Goose jacket <laughs> in Toronto, right? Um uh, they're going to have some issues. So we want to make sure we're on top of that and, and kind of, you know, gearing our trip to kind of our weakest link to make sure that we're not going to have that issue because preventing an evacuation is significantly simpler than now having to evacuate them off some remote snowmobile trail. It's going to be much harder, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know like I always in the wintertime, you know, in my vehicle, I always pack a spare set of clothes yep. in my vehicle at all times. And usually if I'm out snowshoeing, I mean, if I'm snowing, obviously I've got the clothing there. If I'm out snowshoeing, I'm going to be within an hour or 45 minutes of my vehicle. So chances are, if, even if I do get wet at that farthest point, you know, I can make, start making my yep. way back to get those, you know, those clothing, you know, stripped down and throw turn the vehicle on and Go from there. Get some heat going. Yeah, a lot of times people don't think of keeping extra clothing with them at all times. So
1: and pieces like an emergency blanket um, is a really key one. Like yeah. that situation you mentioned of kind of walking back for an hour. If you had an emergency blanket wrapped around you, at least the wind is not hitting that cold skin and clothes, and that's really going to help. So that's a small portable thing you could think about throwing in, like a day pack or smaller hikes. Um, and that's they make really those in terms of sleeping bags, too, that you can actually, like, yep. get into if you were stuck there overnight, at least get something. Nice, yep. small, portable backup.
0: And and they're relatively inexpensive as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, you, you go to Canadian Tire and there's, you know, three or four different versions. Yep. In my vehicle, I, I actually have a big backpack that uh, is sort of like a ghetto bag kind mm-hmm. of idea, right? And I've got a blanket and I've got the sleeping bag one in there. And that's something that, you know, I think a lot of people don't think about is a ghetto bag that keeping in their vehicle all at all times totally inside of there is change of clothing there there's food there's water and some your basic first aid stuff in there and especially myself because i am out in the outdoors a lot by myself you know you never know what can happen right so there's energy gels or energy bars in there there's always water in there there's spare clothing there's fire starting stuff and you know i think a lot of people don't really think about that as much as they should. So going back to the training, I know that, you you know, obviously, if you know, people in BC, they can search and find Wilderness Training in, or BC or Alberta. They can find it wherever they live. But I know that you do that as well. And what is the website for your training company?
1: Yeah, it's Hard and Fast CPR um, is our training site. You can also get to it from the Wild Med Kits site. Um, there's yeah. actually a, a tab that says so under great. the oh, about so us sorry. yeah you can click courses and that redirects you to the hard class okay. site. site um, so that's our training side of the company yeah. um, and then we do private courses as well so we we travel across canada doing courses if people okay. have a group of you know 10 12 people then sometimes that makes sense monetarily to do it that way or if they yeah. just want to contact me i have a number of instructors i've worked with over the years across canada so i'm always happy okay. to you know, direct someone to a reputable course kind of nearer to them if I'm unable to provide that as well.
0: Yeah, that that that's actually a really good point about doing a, a course with, you know, a group of 10, 12 people, whether it be a four-wheel drive club or a, a quad club or a snowmobile yep. club or hiking club or whatever. I think it's definitely worth an investment. And that's something, you know, I definitely want to get happening in and it Just the fact that I'm out there and hopefully I'll never have to use it you know, same thing as a first aid kit. Hopefully you never have to use it, but there's nothing worse than not being prepared for those emergencies. So yeah, going back to your kits, mm-hmm. one thing that you've come up with recently that really interests me is your kit that goes onto the headrest, a quick yeah. release kit that goes yep. a quick release bag that goes onto the headrest. And that's one of my biggest issues is I don't have a lot of room. I've got a lot of junk in my vehicle and not you know, and I, I've got to go through do some reorganization. But one of the big things with first aid kit and you know fire extinguisher really is yep. you want to have those things readily available so that not just you can grab it, so that anybody can grab it, anybody can see where it is. Because if you're hurt and then you go like, oh yeah, I got to pull this out of the way and pull that out of the way, you may not be able to describe to them exactly where your first aid kit is. So you want that first aid kit and fire extinguisher both readily available that anybody can see and anybody can grab and that one that goes onto your onto the headrest the quick detach you know it's, it's held with velcro basically right yeah so they can quickly grab that and i really like what you mentioned earlier to me off air is putting it on the passenger side headrest on the back of it which is where i think where i was going to put it but what i hadn't thought was that you mentioned that you can just quickly if you're driving you can just you know, obviously stop, but you can quickly reach across and quickly grab that without yeah. having to go around the other side of the vehicle or, you know, dig it out. And I think that's something that, you know, that that's probably the way I will end up going uh, when I do get a kit from you because, and you mentioned that you are working to having a, you got the bag separately right now, but you are working yep. towards having to kit a whole bag complete with all the pieces that you need in there.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, visibility of a kit's a big thing. Like you mm-hmm. can go online on Amazon and that and buy, it. people love to buy like CAD pad or camo or black tactical stuff, but it doesn't <laughs> make sense because n- nobody knows to look for a little black pouch that could have whatever in it. So we try to really stick to the high vis, like red, orange colors that are, you know, quick and easy to spot, having some sort of, you know, first aid cross on it to identify yeah. that it's medical. Cause it's, it's not really a product you want to be hiding. And as you mentioned, maybe it's you that's injured, right? If you're the one that's injured, somebody else may be grabbing your gear to use for you. So you, you want to make yeah. that not a hidden secret in your in your, <laughs> in your stash as well. With that kit, with the, the whole like stocking it. So we actually built on our website, which uh, we're pretty proud of, is our build your own kit function.
0: Right. Yes. So that's
1: something people can do is they can actually choose that bag. And it kind of leads you through step by step thinking about each, you know, category of first aid where you can really go through and kind of pick um, gear that you think is going to work. And we've, we've tried to modularize a lot of things. So there's, you know, a bandage refill kit, there's a burn kit, there's an eye injury kit. So everything's very kind of um, detailed into exactly what you need and quick grab and go things. And all of those kits actually have instruction guides on the back of them. So they're good kind of quick reference material as well as you had mentioned previous uh, our reference guides as well. I think that's a key thing to have. Is
0: yeah, some that's something I noticed reference. on your website that I thought was a brilliant idea. Yeah, is these small little quick reference cards. Yeah, and I believe they're laminated. Yep, yeah, and they're they're uh, are like a plastic credit card. Yeah, exactly. And it just these quick reference guides, because going back to, I mean, you know, you may be trained up, you may know everything in the world there is to know about first aid, but you may be passed out. So somebody that may not have the experience can look at these quick reference guides. Exactly. And, and they're, they're you know, sort of simple and basic, at least trying to help the person go through and get, you know, get what needs to be done. Whether they have a, you know, your kit or not, that's something that everybody should have in their first aid kits is totally. a full quick reference guide. And the other thing too with that is that some people don't handle pressure as well. Yep. So maybe easier just to look at those quick reference guides instead of and I, and I think that, you know, handling under pressure is probably one of the most important and key things in a first aid situation is, you know, take a deep breath and assess the situation. And I know that's what is, is taught in first mm-hmm. aid kit courses. Take a big breath, assess the situation and go from there. Those, those refer, quick reference guard cards are, I think, a brilliant idea. Oh, that's great. Really, really good idea. One of the other kits that I noticed on your website is a pet kit.
1: Yep. Yeah, so we developed this kit with uh, a friend of ours that owns a service dog training company in Petawawa. Um, She works with a lot of military members, so we, we did a lot of research with this and worked with some vets out of uh, Guelph University that I've worked with before, kind of developing this kit. Um, so it was really designed to – you can either clip it to, like, your leash and carry it. It's nice and portable, yep. um, you know, throw it in your pocket. It's a pretty simple design, um, and it's got all the basics for treating – you know, main injuries you would run into on a walk, as well as a quick kind of reference first aid kit is actually built into that too, specific to yeah. um, pet first aid. And we did uh, a lot of uh, research developing that guide to make sure it was kind of in line with what is acceptable, you know, veterinary <laughs> practices these days. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a nice little small kit, and and then part of the proceeds from that kit also go to support the uh, the service dog training company.
0: Well, that's great. That's yep. great. Yeah, that's something I actually hadn't thought about. You're not going to throw a bandaid on it on your dog's paw. Good yeah. idea, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah, something I hadn't really thought about that animals or pets um, are different than us, and they therefore they require different different first aid help, right? Yep. So, let's talk about your subscription boxes. Sure. That's something I saw on the, on the website that I thought was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, we, we developed these uh, over our nice little uh, COVID time, where I was at <laughs> home a little bit more than than normal, and subscription boxes were you know the big thing at the time. Um, yeah. I I done a lot of research into them. I think like everyone else, it's always exciting to get you know some sort of mystery package, and there's obviously a lot of hype around that. And I had lots of friends that bought into different boxes, like Battle Box yeah. or the bespoke ones or whatever they are, and I wanted to kind of look at something more niche towards what I was doing. And I think what we really found is people buy a first aid kit and then they never look at first aid stuff again and they just leave it forever. But first aid stuff expires, you know, it goes bad, especially in vehicles. Like that adhesive is only going to last, you know, a couple of years before it sort of dries out. A lot of that paper packaging eventually breaks down. Things exposed to water get moldy when left in a a bin or a closet or the garage after a year um, so you need to replace stuff. They're just So we wanted to build a kit that allowed, you know, those that have a first aid kit, this is still going to work for them. And, and we really built it around this design of every kit would come with more first aid equipment. So you could restock or build a new kit. Um, it would have some sort of specialty item in it or like a refill kit for, for your own kits there. Um, it would always have a bag, case or pouch. So something to kind of add to your gear. Um, We have some really nice patches that we've included, like hook and loop patches, which I think a lot of people are into, you know, either collecting or adding to bags and that kind of piece. Um, And then we've linked in preparedness as well. So we always have something kind of survival related, which is really, you know, on the cusp of first aid. And when we get into, like you were mentioning, that shelter and fire, that's really part of wilderness first aid because you're going to need to survive in order to be alive out there as well. So we've kind of mixed that in. Um, And then we always include a reference guide or a piece of material. And we've been doing a blog post each time we release it. So we're trying to really mix that education with product to provide some kind of on the go, quick reminders or, you know, new ways of doing things to really mix in that education and supply. Because I think the two marry really well together. um, And I think a lot of people have you know, bought stuff that they don't really know how to use, but look cool. I've definitely been bad at that in the past. Yep. Um, so I think having some instruction on that is really helpful, That you can watch a quick video, read a quick blog, just as a good reminder of how that stuff works.
0: Definitely. Thinking about people buying stuff that they don't know how to use. I mean, obviously, you know, going back to the whole training thing, but a couple of years ago I was out with some people and we're doing a short little hike on... We're four-wheeling, but we did a little side hike, and somebody banged their head on an overhanging rock. Right. And we got back to the vehicle, and one of the other people I was with brought out this trauma bag. And it was a big red bag and it had so much stuff. And I'm just I'm looking yeah. at it while he's treating this person. And I'm like, I have no idea what half this stuff is. <laughs> kind of idea, right? You know, yeah. but obviously that person knew what you know, what he needed at that moment to help the injured person. And I think, you know, so obviously somebody going out and buying a, you know, three or $500 trauma bag, if they have, don't even have some of the basics, you know, is obviously a little bit of overkill, but that bag looks cool kind of idea. And it's like, well, you know, let's spend some time learning some of those basics and go from there. One of the things I did notice on your website that I thought was really, really neat um, going back to your products is, on every page or a lot of the pages if there's a first aid kit or if there's um you'll have a video explaining what's all in those kits and I thought that was really neat because I mean pictures are great and wonderful and you've got lots of pictures but doing that video you can actually see in a 3d kind of way of what's in that kit and you can I found it a lot more relatable and I thought that was a really good idea doing that way so
1: perfect uh, yeah we've been really happy with doing that I think Same thing for me when I was looking at first aid kits back in the day to advise people is you can't really see what's in them. Like you're just looking at a bag, (laughs) you know, you go to Canadian Tire and they have some adventure first aid kit, but you don't really know what's in it, how it's laid out, like what's in there, why it's there. So that's why we really developed those videos and we'll, we'll, we'll keep those going as we develop new kits as well. I think those
0: are quite helpful. One of the nice things about you know, going to with a company like Wild Med Kits is the, it's it's quality stuff as well. You know, you, you take a look at the, the Costco stuff or the Canadian Tire stuff, and, you know, they got Band-Aids with cartoon figures on them or whatever, right. right? Like it's going to a company, a reputable company like yourself that has actual, you know, quality products. Everybody should have a first aid kit, obviously, at home. Yep. And we've all got boxes of half-empty boxes of band-aids. <laughs> yep. But, you know, we should put that into one container and have that, you know, ready for anything. But especially with us being out in the wilderness, you know, quality product will definitely make a big difference for sure. Totally. So, and
1: all of our suppliers, we use the same suppliers as hospitals in Canada. So we have relationships, and that's where we get everything. So all of our stuff is, you know, Health Canada-approved products. It's, it's all... Yep vetted and and we're making sure that we're not putting bad stuff out there. And, you know, I think especially in the tourniquet realm of things, like you can go on Amazon and buy a lot of things that look like the real thing, but they're not always the real thing. Um, So it is, yeah, it is good to know that you're getting stuff from a reputable kind of brand and it's not a a fake item or something that's going to break on you or not going to really work.
0: Yeah, exactly. What is some things that you think a lot of people are, Missing in their first aid kits?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. So I would say number one is a triangular bandage. Honestly, out of all the like cool little niche things, and I've, I've looked at a lot of the kids, you know, Walmart, Rexall, that kind of thing, yeah. and none of them have a triangular. The amount of things I can do with the triangular bandage is almost endless, yeah. right? I can create a tourniquet out of it, I can create a pressure bandage, I can splint you with it, I can sling you with it, I can you know, stabilize an injury with it. There's just so many things you can do with it. It's such a versatile item that weighs just about nothing um, yeah. that, that I think everyone should have at least two or three of those in there because it's such a versatile item in treating everything from bleeding to splinting um, or even just having extra cloth that you could soak in water to treat a burn. Like there's just so many things you can do with it. I'd say that's one of my top items that, you know, I like things that can do multiple multiple issues so a triangular yep. bandage is really good i would say another one is an elastic wrap so people often heard of a brand like tensor would be the most mm-hmm. common thing yep. to think about like a sprained wrist or something yep. those are great they work really well for attaching splints they work great if you have someone that has a sprain injury they also work really good for creating an improvised pressure dressing so when right. we look at you know things like the israeli bandage that are quite common in the military um, you can improvise that very easily with a, with an elastic wrap. Um, so that's another one that serves a, a pretty big purpose. Like When I'm looking at a first aid kit, I wanna have like Band-Aids and things I'm probably gonna use cause I'm gonna need that. But you also yeah. wanna have stuff that is really difficult to improvise if you don't have it. And bleeding control is something where if you don't have at least some stuff to kind of work with, it's really difficult to improvise. It, it can be yeah. done, but without practice, you're not gonna be as fast at it and it's not going to be as successful as having some of those products in there.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Both both of those are are great examples. One of the neat things like you mentioned earlier on your that you guys sell is replacement stuff. So not just yep. the full first aid kits, you've got, you know, empty bags, you've got full bags, you've got replacements so if people want to just a replacement of the band-aid stuff or if they want to upgrade so they don't have anything for their burn stuff or they don't have some of the more advanced stuff or not more advanced stuff but the they their their costco kit doesn't have everything they need yeah yeah, exactly and that's one of the really things i really you know think that people should definitely have a look at your website at wildmedkits.ca and just have a growth a look through there because there's so many interesting things i've found on there that sometimes I hadn't really even thought about, right? So, And that was the idea is we
1: really took a lot of this from our research and going through, you know, every curriculum out there. Like I'm referencing all the latest wilderness textbooks on medicine and EMS guides. And I wanted to kind of take all that information and make an evidence-based approach to each of these things. Like if if you had an eye injury, what what should we actually be doing about an eye injury? What do you really need? And that's what really sparked building these little kits. Like everything is kind of, either niche or very targeted like we have a wound irrigation kit you know uh, a wound closure kit that has all the stuff you need for wound closure which does not include sutures which people should not have out there (laughs) because you're not trained to do it and it's so painful and it's just unnecessary there's you know more simple ways to do it than a uh Create room. more so,
0: problems than it's worth. Yeah,
1: exactly. Everyone always asks me to sell suture kits. And I'm like, you don't want a suture kit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the little resale kits are great. And with all of our kits out there, like you said, we have videos, we have lists of content. So it, sometimes shipping doesn't make sense if you're buying a small thing. We're happy to have that information out there. So if people want to build their own kit, copying our kind of kit contents, we're very happy to at least spread that education. So. You know, for little things, I'm I'm totally happy with people just using this information and building their own. If yep. that makes sense, then then go for that. We're, we're happy to share that information.
0: Yeah, it may not be worth sending, you know, shipping a $20 kit across the country, right? But, yeah. But definitely, I think, you know, the education, like you say, is a huge part. And I do recommend that people check your website out, not only for the education, but for, you know, if you're looking at, hey, I do need a new kit. You guys have got some really neat kits out there, especially the wilderness kits. And I think those are what, you know, a lot of us should have in our vehicles. Obviously, you know, the basics because, you know, right now I've got a little $10 kit that I found in my garage idea, right? But um, going to that, that tearaway kit on the headrest, I think is, you know, the way that I will end up going myself. Great. And, but even looking at your, your website, like I say, all the videos of each you know, kit I think is was a great idea because, like I said, you can see it 3D, and like you mentioned, you know, people don't want or aren't going to buy it at least from you at least, they'll have an idea of what they do need to buy. Yeah, because you know, sometimes the shipping is is more than a product, right? So yeah, and, um,
1: like we do free shipping across Canada over two ninety nine. So if you're hitting yeah, a you know a bigger price point, or you want to get a couple people together and and do a group order, sometimes that makes sense. Yeah, um, and even our shipping below that is a flat rate of. 25 bucks. So yeah. um, that's just good for people to know is like that's that's how we yeah. charge shipping is very upfront. It's it's pretty easy to think about budgeting into and uh, we try to make that simple across Canada.
0: No, that's fair enough. Is there anything that that you feel that we missed in this conversation? I think it's a great conversation to begin with. Yeah. But, uh, is there anything that you do feel that we missed?
1: um No, I think we hit a lot of it. Um, I also went ahead and made a discount code for any of your followers as well. So beautiful. That would be 4x4Canada, so 4x4Canada, and that'll do 10% off anything on the website. So that should help people out, you know, budget-wise, and um, we're happy to provide that discount code across for anyone. And then feel free to email me as well. There's a Contact Us page on there, so if people are on the fence of, like, which kit do I choose, and they want to give us a little story of kind of where they're using it, what their background is, we can really help kind of steer them in the right direction to pick, you know the best product for them in their environment
0: yep yeah, excellent you guys also supply a lot of more advanced product as yes. well too so whether it be you know for search and rescue teams or whatever yes. there's a lot of product on there that uh, i thought was quite interesting that you know other organizations that may not know about you you know if uh, if you are on a search and rescue team or something like that definitely worth you know Looking at Wild Med Kits because there's a lot of product on there that is for the more advanced people. Yeah, hundred percent. Go to the website of wildmedkits.ca and and ten percent discount at uh, checkout. The code Four Before Canada, which is great. I really appreciate you doing that. That's, of course. One of the last questions that we do ask all our guests is, "What Canadian would you like to listen to on the Four Before Canada podcast?"
1: Sure. So. Um- from a medical background, I would choose a medical person. Um, so yep. my choice would be uh, Ray Wiss. He's a physician out of Sudbury. Um, he actually wrote a couple books. Uh, one's called uh, FOB Doc. Um, and these were, okay. he was a military physician that served some time in Afghanistan. Um, he developed a lot of uh, techniques and things for austere environments for like forward operating bases. So yep. I think in terms of, you know, having a, a physician mindset or discussing some more of those like medical practices in austere environments and discussing, you know, how those more intensive evacuations go or thinking about especially international travel in maybe countries that are not as stabilized and how you might manage things in those ways and yep. he would be a really good resource for that.
0: Beautiful. Sounds sounds like a very interesting guy. I'll definitely have to check him out for sure. Awesome Ken, I really appreciate you coming on board. I I know I learned a lot today and I think our listeners will, you know, learn a lot as well too. Again, it's Ken from Wild Med Kits and you can check out the website at wildmedkids.ca. Don't forget the 10% discount for before Canada at the end. And I really appreciate you coming on. It uh, I like I say I learned a lot today.
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Wes.